Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap, part of the Believe Network. We're coming to you after the New England Revolution soundly beat Independiente 3 to nothing at home and advancing in the CONCACAF Champions Cup thing on aggregate. Nacho Heel and Mark Anthony K scored their first goals in a Revolution kit, while Thomas Jankalai scored his second goal in the competition and also of 2024. I'm Greg Johnstone, joined today by Sean Donahue, a good old-fashioned Greg and Sean episode. Greg and Sean episode. Uh, Sean, how are you? Uh, this lovely morning, uh, first thing in the morning, recording a podcast, talking about a uh, very nice, relaxing, comfortable three nothing win. Um, I could get used to uh, doing stuff like this, but uh, we're starting our day off right. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm I was glad to be sitting in the press box last night for the game and not out in the stands because it was bitterly cold out. Um, but it it was nice to have a nice, comfortable, relaxing win for the Revolution that was never really in doubt. Um, that's, that's the way that, that's the way that matchup should have gone. And it was nice for that to happen because if you've been following the revolution for a very, very long time, like I have, uh, we've seen in in years past that sometimes these matchups don't play out the way that they should on paper. This one actually did. Yeah. And I said last week, I I don't see a way the revs can blow this. And I've was sitting on pins and needles all week. Just like, oh man, what's going to happen? How this one's going to come back to bite me. Uh, but it did not. It was a, a very predictable, nice and easy 3 nothing win where the Revs were on the front foot uh, pretty much the whole game. Sean, w- real quick, we don't get to really do these episodes too much too often, uh, but just for old time's sake, do you want to do a quick uh, Tottenham 20 for the listeners? How are, How's Spurs doing? You know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster season and that uh, it's been a lot more exciting than last year that they've been playing some good soccer, but it's it's uh, frustrating right now that they're not winning more games now that everyone's healthy, so... Yeah, we'll, well, we'll see how the season finishes. I still have hopes of them finishing top four. Yeah, it's and I looked at the odds. It's in the, uh, I think they're like plus 100 to finish in the top four, and Aston Villa is around the same. So it's going to be neck and neck uh, on our, uh, our our futures bet uh, coming down to the wire. So, and by the way, Sean, we placed that top four futures bet at Bet Online, our sponsor. Um, that's where we do all of our bets throughout the season. Uh, Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all of your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year, as well as soccer, Premier League soccer, MLS, CONCACAF, Champions Cup, whatever. Uh, Bet Online is your number one source uh, for all of that info. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all of the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. So head on, head, head over to Bet Online today and become part of the team. And remember to use our promo code Believe B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is promo code Believe B L A B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Stumbling a little bit. First thing in the morning here, Sean. I'm uh, those ad reads are smoother uh, at ten o'clock at night than they are at nine in the morning but uh sean let's get right into our key takeaways these are brought to you by our friends over at the rebellion supporter group make sure you check them out on twitter at any rebellion uh, and also make sure you check out their website anyrebellion.org to learn how you can become a member and how you can become a part of supporter culture and if you're going to the game on sunday make sure you check out their breakfast theme tailgate uh, that will be in the rebellion lot in lot b uh, and that will start at 11 a.m so go get some breakfast uh, go get some brunch, really, I guess, if you're it, it, start time is at 2 p.m. So that'll be a little bit of a brunch, uh, but technically uh, breakfast themed tailgate. Go check them out. Lot 3B. Sean, what was your key takeaway from this game? Yeah, I, I got to be honest. It's been a bit of a frustrating start to the season from the key takeaway standpoint and that the Revs have had two games against an inferior opponent uh, and Independiente. And they had, you know, last weekend against D.C. where they got a 25th minute red card. Um, so I'm not sure that there's that much you can take away long term from these games. But with that said, uh, I think there was a reaffirmation in this game that the Revolution have a very, very strong attacking midfield. And not only that it's strong, but that it's deep. 
Uh, we saw Nacho Hill, who's been you know, pretty good in both of these games against Independiente, have a very strong performance, got in the score sheet. We saw Esmir come off the bench, had a fantastic performance. He's been really exciting to watch so far this season, uh, including last weekend against DC when you know, he was playing down a man for most of that match. And of course, Thomas, Thomas Chonkalai got on the score sheet, played really well as well in this game. So, you know, it was a very, very exciting um, attacking midfield performance from the revolution uh, to see them play that way. And I think if they can sort out the striker situation, which is a, a very big, if um, you know, then this offense is going to be clicking on all cylinders and, and doing really well. But it was, you know, again, it's hard to take too much away because they're playing inferior opposition, but to see Nacho Hill have a really good game, Esmir have a really good game. I uh, didn't even mention Carlos Hill. Uh, he had a, a good game until he went off at halftime, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Uh, and Tomas Chonkley also have a really, really good game. Um, and you know, that's not to mention Dylan Barrero, who uh, is obviously not healthy yet, but he'll be added to the offense later this season. And there's been you know rumors of wingers coming that we'll also probably talk about later. Updates there. So you know, from that perspective, I think. You know, one of the takeaways from the first three games is the attacking midfield of this team is very strong and very deep. Um, and you know, if they can find the right striker situation up top, uh, this offense is going to be very deadly this this season. Uh, you know, even even just seeing him against weaker opposition, I think you can you can make that takeaway. Yeah, and I'm with you a little bit. I'll meet you kind of halfway, and you're kind of adding in what what I kind of throw in is the. Um, you know, taking it with a grain of salt is that this is not the best competition and this is essentially preseason games. Um, so I, I will say you, when you have weaker opposition, you want to see your offense do the things they did last night. You want to see Nacho heel uh, play very well. You want to see Esmir nutmeg guys and go at attackers and dribble through three players. Uh, you want to see that growth uh, and you want to see those opponents, I'll say dominated. Um, so that's great. I, I just don't know how it translates over to MLS competition. I will say you, you highlighted two people, Esmir and Nacho Heel. And I, I think, you know, I've been really hyped about Esmir. I think this is the year he takes the step. I know Caleb Porter called him his starting right winger at the beginning of the season. And he's, he's played well so far. I felt both in the DC United game and in this game, uh, we're, we're really seeing a lot of growth and he's still making some mistakes here and there. He's still a little bit raw, but you can just see, um, you know, the natural talent and the ability, and he's only going to get better with time. Uh, as long as he's getting the minutes and as long as he's adjusting to MLS play, he, he's going to be a very, very good player. Um, but you mentioned Nacho Heel too. It seems like Nacho Heel is playing as good as we've seen him. He's always been a reliable player, maybe as a depth winger, um, but I, I think he is making a good case in these two Champions League games that he might be someone that might see starting time uh, throughout the year uh, if, you know, Esmir needs to shift somewhere else or if there's an injury. Uh, I think Nacho Hill is in, in the conversation now to to get some more minutes, whereas before I think I kind of pictured him as kind of a depth winger. So, you know, we'll see how this develops over time, um, but it, it, it is good to see the offense clicking on all cylinders, especially after that preseason where they really didn't generate any offense whatsoever. Uh, it was really nice to see kind of things come together uh, in, in the Champions League Cup. Yeah, and it's it's again, it's hard to take away too much from preseason. The results were not there. The goal scoring was not there, but uh, it, it is good to see them put a, three goals a game, three goals against this team, possibly four goals. A little bit controversial on that uh, offside. Uh, Caleb Porter said they won the game for nothing after the match, even though the final score was three nothing. Um, I, I still haven't seen any good replays to tell me whether or not there actually was an offside. Uh, but besides the point, it's nice to see them put you know, three or four goals in the back of the net, even against weaker opposition. That's how the game should have played out on paper. And it did. And, you know, maybe it's, again, maybe it's me having the history of this revolution team and what they've done in, in similar situations in the past, but it was just nice to see them actually win a game comfortably that they should have won comfortably. Yeah. Lima was offside, by the way. I know you did not have the benefit of replay, but they showed a replay and Lima does look offside on that. Uh, I think it would have been the first third goal. Uh, that was taken away. I think it was that Ima Boateng's goal. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, good, yeah. good, good to know. Cause I still hadn't seen it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, I, we're nine minutes into this podcast and I've already called CONCACAF champions cup. I've called it the champions cup. I've called it the champions league. I've called it the champions league cup. Uh, we're off to a really, really hot start here. The coffee has not kicked in for me at all. Hey, up, so up, until, up until a few years ago, it was the champions league. So you're not too far off. <laughs> uh, no, last year, wasn't it? Wasn't it last year? Uh, well, I don't, last time they were in it, 
uh, that's that's what matters to me. So um, my key takeaway here, we're going to talk about Vrioni later. I, I was going to talk about Giacomo Vrioni. We will talk to him. We got some some listener questions here. I'm going to talk about the midfield. I thought Matt Polster and Ian Harks had a phenomenal game. They did a really good job in possession. They did a good job moving the ball back and forth. Um, they got up in the attack a little bit. Um, actually, if you look at FootMob, Matt Polster is actually the man of the match with an 8.6 rating, 94% pass accuracy, 123 touches, including two in the opponent's box, um, 11 defensive actions, 18 recoveries. Uh, he was only seven for 13 on duels, uh, one, um, but overall a, a very good night. And um, I thought this was a game that, again, inferior opponent, you know, it, it's a step down in competition. Um, but I, I really thought the Rebs did a great job commanding the med- midfield. And I, I would actually, there were six shots by Independiente. I, and that feels like a lot more than I thought. I mean, if I, going off of the top of my head, I could maybe think of two or three. It seemed like their most dangerous chances were kind of some crosses into the box that Andrew Farrell cleared out. Um, but I mean, they're really, there was apparently one shot on target. I, I barely remember that. I mean, Independiente did not look at all threatening. Um, and I, I thought the midfield really commanded that performance and really gave them nothing. Uh, and I think Matt Polster and Ian Harks uh, did a really, really phenomenal job. Uh, on, on both sides of the ball. So uh, we're, we don't have any listener questions about them. So my key takeaway is just giving them a tip of the cap uh, and, and coming out with a good performance. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny you mentioned the shots that they had because I think Caleb Porter after the after the match said he didn't remember a shot on target and I couldn't remember it either. And then looking at the stats, they're actually, they did have one, which I also have to scrape my brain. I can't remember what one that was. Um, but no, I thought Matt Poster had a phenomenal game. I thought Matt Poster has been a good all season. Uh, and, you know, Caleb Porter mentioned that he's looking to find who's going to play beside him. Uh, so he's, you know, posters is locked in starter, which to me makes hundred uh, percent sense to me. So it's a question of who plays besides them. They got no buck. They got Ian Harks and they've got Mark Anthony K. Any of them could be that guy. And, and as Porter said, after the game, all of them have done pretty well. K scored in this game. Uh, Ian Harks, I thought played really, really well. It was his first start in a very long time. Not surprised. He didn't last the full 90 minutes. I, it's, I, I I think it's been since you know middle of last summer since he was able to play 90 minutes. So you know it was good to see him get out there and start and play really well. Um, I thought Noel Buck, Buck looked okay coming off the bench to 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 fill in for him. Uh, but you know again it's a it's a good problem for a Porter to have. Uh, you know it, Poster is locked in starting. He's been starting every game, but you know it, there's been a different guy beside him every game, and it's nice that they have those options there. I still think Buck is probably the best the best answer long term in that position. But Ian Harks, I thought, played really, really well this game, too. But, yeah, I, I've got nothing but good things to say about how Matt Polster has played generally this year, uh, and especially this game. <laughs> there was one situation in this game where Ian Harks got the ball and somehow got surrounded by four Independiente defenders quite quickly and, and turned the ball over there. But overall, I thought he played really, really well. I still don't know how that happened that he got that isolated. And that, 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 but that's, that's the one situation that stuck out to me there. But uh, overall, I completely agree with your point. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing too that before we get into listener questions I was just curious about your thoughts about the starting lineup and the substitutions and coming into this game too you know looking at you know if you look at the odds ahead of time uh, the gambling odds the reps opened around minus 300 line moved to minus 500 which means they were very very heavy favorites I think it closed around minus 450 to minus 500 but at one point I saw it as low as minus 525 so this is a game that the Rebs were expecting to come out dominate there was going to be a lot of one-way traffic, which essentially is what happened. Uh, but the team still rolls out with what is maybe not a starting 11. Maybe Esmir should be playing over Nacho Heel, but this is a very strong 11. Um, you know, and, and so I'm just curious about your starting lineup, if you think Porter did the right thing going out and not pulling any punches. Uh, and, and my second question to you is about the substitutions. Obviously, Carlos Hill came off. He's, uh, Caleb Porter said that it's not serious, but he has had some Achilles tightness. Uh, so it's not expected to miss any time, but there was an injury associated with Carlos Hill. Uh, Henry Kessler got the start. He came out at halftime. That seemed to be uh, planned to me to get him uh, some minutes as he works his way back. But Chocolate stayed in there for 77 minutes. Uh, Polster stayed in there for 90 minutes. He, I believe that he's played three games of 90 minutes so far. Um, what were your thoughts about the substitutions and the lineup? And would you have done anything differently than what Caleb Porter did last night? So I guess two different answers is that I like the starting lineup. I I would have done what he did, which is put out a very strong lineup to make sure you win this game. And again, that's that's coming as someone that's seen the Revs blow games against bad teams before, saw them lose you know four nothing to to Joe Public at home. So you can never take anything for granted uh, with this Revolution team or with, with any team. Um, so I think it was important that they put out a strong starting lineup and kind of put the game away in the first half. And then you know 
I would have made substitutions sooner to prevent guys from getting injured. I thought the Carlyle's heel substitution at the time was a smart move to take him out. And, and you know, they had they were up to nothing. They were pretty safe. Take Carlyle's heel out. Make sure he doesn't get injured. And then after the fact, you know, we, we find out that he had some tightness in his calf or his Achilles rather, which is, you know, he said it's precautionary and, and hopefully not serious. Um, but I guess you, you never know. So that was a little bit concerning that we found out that's what it was. And then you mentioned Chonkalai, what he played to like the 77th minute or something. You know, I, I would have taken him out a lot sooner. I would have thought about taking Dewan Jones out. He's played a lot of minutes this year. Dave Romney has played every minute this year, just after playing every minute last year, I, I would have thought about maybe taking him out. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I like the starting lineup. I thought that was the right move. You have to make sure you put this team away and, and advance to the next round. But I would have thought about making more subs at either halftime or you know maybe around the 55th minute uh, instead of waiting as long as they did to get guys like like Tomas Chonkley out there um, because you know there's a couple guys in the field that you know t- talking about the Revs depth uh, if Carlos Hill goes out the Revs are in big trouble if Thomas Chonkley goes out the Revs are in big trouble so yeah smart starting lineup decisions maybe not the smartest as far as when he took the subs and you wonder too. You know, the, the Revs have a quick turnaround. They have a Sunday afternoon game now. And then after that, I believe they play Wednesday at 6 p.m. in Costa Rica. So this at, is at the, home. The first leg's home. Oh, my apologies. Well, either way, there's still a lot of schedule congestion. And so I wonder if, you know, Dewan Jones, who I believe has played 90 minutes in, in three games so far. Matt Polster's played 90 minutes in three games so far. Carlos Hill, you know, got a bit of a rest here. But Chonkalai um, ha- has also played, you know, a lot of these minutes too. Um, Romney and Farrell. Uh, going 90 minutes. You wonder if we see some rotation Sunday afternoon against uh, Toronto FC. Um, by the way, is plus plus 120 uh, TFC win or draw. Um, I, I was a little surprised when I looked up that line this morning, and I, I, I think I'm investing a little bit on um, maybe the draw, maybe maybe a double chance with uh, TFC because you know teams in MLS struggle when they're in the midst of the um, CONCACAF Champions League, Champions Cup, Champions League Cup, whatever competition you want to call this. Um, so I, I think Sunday might be a spot for some more rotation than we saw last week uh, against DC United. And by the way, Bobby Wood also is apparently dealing with some knee soreness. So if Rioni is going to miss this game, he's going to miss Wednesday's game. Uh, and you have Bobby Wood dealing with some knee soreness. And the Revolution um, incredibly don't really have a, another option up top, I guess, Thomas Shankalai. Um, So curious to see what they end up doing at the striker position because uh, they are very weak there. And already within a month, it is might might rear its ugly head uh that uh, the lack of depth up top yeah and, and it's important to note that you know alahuense on wednesday is not a team the revs can beat without their best 11 uh, you know independiente on paper certainly was alahuense is not um you know i i don't think there's as much of a, a gap as there may be you know 20 years ago when the revs were facing this team and the revs were knocked out by them twice i think you know the revs should be on par with alahuense at this point uh but i don't think um, you know, they're dem- demonstrably better than Alahuense to the point where they can, you know, play a weakened lineup and still beat them. So if the Revs want to go out on Wednesday, beat Alahuense, be in a good position to play them on the road and, and advance in this competition, I think they do have to think seriously about rotating even more uh, on Sunday because it's it's a very tough schedule to go just to have two days off, then play Sunday, and then have two days off and then play Wednesday, especially early in the year when guys are still kind of finding their footing and, get, and getting their fitness. So I'm very curious to see what happens Sunday. But it's going to be a much, much more difficult uh, opponent for the Revolution in the next round. Uh, Porter even you know, said so after the game, you know, not, not that strong of a terms, but said it's going to be a more difficult task against Alahuense. So you know, I'm curious to see what he does Sunday. But if he's taking the CONCACAF Champions Cup seriously, uh, and so far he has, uh, he's, he's got to have his best 11 on the field on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more thing too, I just want to note uh, in terms of substitutions, I forgot to mention this uh, up top, but one sub I kind of scratched my head on and I guess I need to back off of it because he scored, but Mark Anthony K coming in late in the game, it's two, nothing, three, nothing on aggregate. Uh, you're taking out Nacho Heel, who is a winger. Um, you put in Mark Anthony K. I guess that's just to get a more of a defensive body on the field question mark. Um, but truth be told, uh, you know, you could have played Jack P. I would have liked to have seen him maybe get some more minutes uh, if, you know, for no other reason than just to, I don't know, develop, um, you know, it, it just seemed like a low stress scenario and I didn't see what value putting Mark Anthony K on was there. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I thought that was telling that Jack P is maybe a little bit further down the depth chart uh, than we would like. Um, Cause I, I feel like there's not many scenarios like that, that where you can play a young player and get him 10, 15 minutes to see out a game. 
uh, and, and that was one of them. And he did not come on, and instead they decided to switch up the uh, formation and, and put more of a defensive body in Mark Anthony K out there. So I thought that was uh, interesting to note towards the end of the game there too. I, I agree with that, and I also you know I'm surprised that Nacho was the guy to come off there when again you have guys like Polster, Dewan Jones, and Dave Romney that have played so many minutes and are guys that would really be difficult to replace if anything happened to them where you know we talk about Nacho he's playing well but he's pretty interchangeable with Esmir and I I don't think there's necessarily a drop off in quality when you put Esmir in in fact you could argue that you know Esmir is a step up in quality so if if you were to lose Nacho for a little bit it wouldn't be the end of the world where I think of one of those other three guys it would be so I was a little bit surprised that that fifth sub wasn't used for one of them and if it was going to be used for Nacho I also agree I'm surprised that you don't get a guy like Jack P some minutes uh unless he really hasn't been showing much in, in training which is you know unfortunate if that's the case yeah k for polster would have made sense to me jack p for nacho would have made sense to me k for nacho was kind of a head scratcher for me uh listener questions let's hop into our listener mailbag which is brought to you by subject law uh, you can find subject law's website in our show notes uh mike from new hampshire uh we, we've already covered this uh but he really wanted to make us sweat a little bit i just want to hear you guys pronounce alahuense is that correct sean I think that's correct. So, you know, the Revs have played them twice before. So I have a little bit of background there. Um, I was a teenager at the time. It's been a long time, but I, I've, I, I did get to write about Alejandro before. I could talk about Alejandro before. I'm pretty sure I got it right. Caleb Porter actually uh, asked at the press conference last night if he was pronouncing it correct. Um, he didn't pronounce the full name. I think he pronounced a, sh- a shorter version. Uh, Alajuela or something like that when he was told that was correct. So I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if that's what we should be calling it, but I'm pretty sure Alajuelense is correct. If I'm wrong, let me know. I will go on the record as saying that Spanish was my worst class in high school. I was my lowest grade consistently. So I, I apologize to my past Spanish teachers uh, if I'm messing this one up. Yeah, I took French. What a waste of time that was. Um, but yeah, we are a phonetically challenged podcast, and I also think an acceptable pronunciation uh, of this team is the team from Costa Rica. Uh, and I might just be uh, going going off of that. But uh, you, you, I think you saw that question, too, because you came out of the box firing that team name five, six times before you even got to listener questions. Uh, so uh, I, I like the confidence, John. You're a much more confident man than I am. Uh, that's that's oh, what I'm sticking with, and I'm going with it. I'm going to say it confidently. If, <laughs> if it's wrong, someone can let me know. <laughs> uh, also, Alfred says, has Buck dropped off or has Esmir's ascension overshadowed Buck? Feels like both. John? Um, I don't think Buck has necessarily dropped off. We just haven't seen that much of him this season. Um, I think in part because of the suspension, you know, K got the start in the first round, and then we you know we saw Buck against DC, and I thought Buck played you know reasonably well against DC in the very difficult circumstances. He, you know, it's hard to flash too much of kind of his offensive skills uh, in a DC game where they're playing down a man for so long, and in this game he didn't get that many minutes. So um, I, I definitely wouldn't say definitively that buck has dropped off i'd say we haven't seen enough uh and uh, hopefully long term he gets more minutes and i i do think that he'll end up being the guy starting next to pollster if he's not then you know maybe there's more to this but you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't go as far as saying he's dropped off yet at the same time esmer has been fantastic he has you know outshone buck so far and you know in part because of his flashy offense and his dribbling ability and his nutmegs and everything um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say Bucks dropped off, but I would say that Esmir has probably drawn more headlines and, and shown a bit more than Bucks so far this season. Yeah. I think this is Esmir is the flashy new toy and he's kind of shot up. Um, but Bucks role hasn't changed too much. Um, it's still early in the season. I, I still think, you know, he's in with the England U twenties. Um, you know, he's still a very bright prospect. I think it's just a matter of Esmir is making headlines right now, coming right out of the gate. He's in with the U- uh, the U.S. camp earlier in January. Um, I-, I believe he also made the preliminary 60-man, is it the Nations League roster that came out last week? He made one of the USA's 60-man roster. Uh, so I think it's just he's the new shiny toy that's come out of nowhere. Um, so I-, I don't know if it's fair to say Buck has dropped off, but more so. Um, Esmir is, you know, essentially doing what Nolbuck did at the start of last year, where he kind of showed up, had a, a really nice start to the season, uh, and is making people realize, hey, we might have something here. So, um, but I, I, I understand that maybe he's taking a little bit of the shine and attention away from Buck, uh, but I, I don't think that's necessarily uh, uh, reflective of, of Nolbuck's form or his ability. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that right there. It's also somewhat reflective of the health situation, right? Because if Barrera was healthy, it wouldn't be such seeing as much as Esmir. And the fact that, you know, Kay, Polster, and Harks are healthy is, you know, why we're probably not seeing quite as much of Buck as 
maybe would have otherwise. So there's a, you know some factors that go into there, none of which necessarily indicate that Buck has dropped off. Um, but it, you know, I haven't seen enough to say he hasn't. Uh, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that yet. We'll be interested. We might see Buck this weekend against TFC, so we might be able to make more of a comment following that game. Uh, but either way, uh, we got some more comments about Esmir, who a lot of people were impressed with him. Uh, Ryan says, "Holy buckets, Esmir! What a good showing." Uh, Seamus Magoo says, "It is very hard to play the game well in the cold and uh, in the cold and wind, uh, and it showed during a very flat and very cold first half." Esmir disagreed, and we saw finally some inspired offensive play in the second half. The kid has got something, and he plays well with our other talent. Uh, good comment there. And Dr. Defense says, Esmir, flashiest Rebs winger since Welton. Uh, Sean, I'll, I'll get your, your comment about uh, that last one because that's a little more Rebs uh, MLS 1.0 uh, for me. Uh, but uh, overall thoughts on uh, Esmir's performance yesterday. Yeah, well, first of all, I love the the Welton reference, and I was scratching my head trying to think if there was somebody since then that could be in that conversation. And and if I'm being honest, I thought you know at the end of last year that Tomas Chocolai might be the flashiest winger uh, since Welton, but no, I think uh, I think it's a good shout as the way Asmir has looked so far to start this season. Um, certainly, it's a good shout, and yeah, I. I I got nothing but positive things to say about how Esmer has played so far this year. Uh, again, I, I mentioned this, I think, on last week's episode. My concern is, you know, is his durability going to hold up with how much he's going to be fouled from the way he plays? He's, you know, still, um, you know, not the biggest guy. So we'll see how that goes as the season goes on. But it, it seems like the only way people can stop him is fouling him. And that's because of how talented he is. So uh, I love his confidence. I love his willingness to take people on. Um, I, I love a lot of what I've seen about him so far. He's still a very young kid. Um, I think his durability will be tested by the way defenses uh, decide to to play against him. We certainly saw it against DC. Uh, he's very hard to stop without fouling. So you know, can he can he withstand that long term? But uh, so far, so good. And uh, yeah, nothing but positive things to say about Esmir. He's been a, a bright spot for the Revs. And you know, we kind of thought he might be going into the season based on you know how he played with the U.S. national team on that camp, uh, and you know, things were trending up for him. So nice to see it actually you know unfold on the field the way it has. And I'll also add one more thing, too, where the offense looked better in the second half compared to the first half. Or they scored twice in the second half. Really should have had three goals if Nicolino was onside. I will say at that point in the game, Independiente has to push up. They can't really sit back. So I think things really opened up for the team in the second half, and there are more gaps. Uh, so I, I I do want to kind of, again, spread a little bit of grain of salt that this is an inferior opponent. Uh, the game had opened up at that point. Um, and again, you want to see Esmir do the things he did in that situation. But I'm curious to see how it translates over to MLS competition, because um, I, I do think there'll be a little bit of growing pains for Esmir, uh, but certainly the talent and the ability is there. And the other thing, too, that I really liked about Esmir is just the fearlessness and the confidence that, you know, this kid's 18. You know, he showed no fear. He's nutmegging people left and right. He's taking on two, three defenders. Um, he seems like he knows what he wants to do with the ball. Um, He's phenomenal at dribbling. He he's just a phenomenal overall player right now, and um, it, it'll just be really exciting to see him make the next step. And again, like I think we've seen some players come in. I remember when Petrovic came in, like Sean. I remember like what was it like eight games into his career. I remember after that TFC game, we we recorded that podcast. It was it was our only in person podcast, but we were saying like, yeah, this guy's he looks better than Turner. This guy's going to be a, a $10 million plus player in two, three years. And then he sold for 17 million a year later. You know, uh, you, some players we've seen come through and we say this, this looks like a really special player. Esmir certainly feels like a very special player that is destined for better things. And, you know, if the revs handle him correctly, you know, he might not be here in three years, but the next one, two years they have him, he's going to be a, a major, major player uh, on the side. So, and I also am going to throw out this thing again that I am, I don't think he can say it enough. Carlos Seal's contract ends at the end of the season. So, I mean, there's, there, there's a little bit of a cloud looming here and it's going to be interesting to see how the Revs handle the Carlos Hill situation. And if, you know, if Esmir comes in and, and, you know, let's say he faces MLS competition and he balls out, does that, you know, is there less of an incentive for the revs to keep Carlos heel? Like, does that, does that factor into the equation? And do they move kind of more to, you know, building around Esmir? Like that isn't as ridiculous of a statement as it would have been a month or two ago. So uh, I, I still think it is a little ridiculous at this point. I still think you want to sign Carlos heel, but you know, maybe he wants to move back to Europe. Maybe he wants to move on to something else outside of new England. Um, Caleb Porter is his third coach. Uh, so that that's just kind of something that's kind of looming in the background. 
So um, yeah, just going to throw that out there as well. But yeah, getting back to Esmir, phenomenal game. Um, really excited to see how he develops and, and how he plays against better competition. Because again, I'm trying not to get too excited about this opponent. I think the only problem with that theory is if he does play at that level, he's not going to be here very long himself. <laughs> yes, correct. Correct. He, 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 either way, I, I don't think, you know, in the year 2027, Esmir is going to be in a revs kit. I mean, I, I just think he's too good of a player to be here long term. So John Pilkington, potential momentum builder or an expected result against an inferior opponent. I would say maybe both. I mean, it's a, it's certainly an inferior opponent. It's certainly an expected result, but I think it's important to build momentum at the beginning of the season, especially after how last season ended. Um, I, I went on a podcast, the designated players podcast earlier this year, a few months ago. And we talked about, you know, if this team crashes out of the champions league cup, whatever it's called, you know, that, you know, we, we saw how the season derailed against Pumas, um, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, if you have some tough losses early in the season, things can go sideways very, very quick. Uh, so I, I think when you go out and you dominate an opponent like you should, even though it's not, you know, I'm not you know, placing bets on them to win MLS Cup. Uh, but it certainly seems like maybe they've turned a corner and they put 2023 in the rearview mirror. And they, 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 it does build momentum a little bit. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of be, uh, I'll take the cheap way out and say both. Uh, Sean, any thoughts? No, I was going to say exactly the same thing. It, it's definitely both. Uh, you know, it, it is an expected result against an inferior opponent, but you, know, you look at the preseason too, they, they didn't build much momentum in preseason. So, uh, and, they, and they also had a tough result last weekend. So it was, it was very good for them to get a win, to put multiple goals on, on the board. Uh, I, I definitely think it's a bit of a momentum building builder, despite the fact that it happened against a weaker opponent and it was expected, you know, certainly if they had, you know, had a, sluggish draw against this team or you know something a, a bad result or a one nothing win that didn't look very good um that wouldn't help things very much but the fact that they had a you know, pretty comprehensive three nothing win never really had this in doubt it's it's definitely a good thing and, and they needed it yeah yeah if they advanced the way philadelphia advanced we would be asking questions um the but they went out they went on the road which not an easy trip to fly down to panama and play 90 degree w- weather um you know essentially at the end of a road trip uh, where they did preseason training in Florida, they went down, they won that game, you know, not perfect came back, you know, again, not perfect. I thought there were still some, you know, mistakes in the first half, uh, but looked fine, looked fine. They went out, they scored at ease the second half. They got better and better as the game went on, Um, you know, so yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, Mike D it was nice that we didn't sit back and play to not lose all game. Hopefully that continues. Um, again, we'll play, we'll, we'll put the caveat out here that, you know, we might be looking to scrounge a draw up if we rotate people against TFC. Uh, but yes, it was nice to see them, uh, put the, put their foot down uh, and pull no punches. We talked about the lineup a little bit earlier. I don't know if you want to add anything uh, to that, Sean. No, I, you, you got it pretty well there. <laughs> okay. Uh, Trey says, very cold. Um, I, I wasn't there. You were in the press box, so was, you know, hopefully you were warm in the press box. But uh, for the dozens of people that made it out to that game, uh, it, it certainly looked uh, not, not, not like very nice weather. And I, I certainly felt bad for the Panamanian players. I think Caleb Porter said, too, he, he felt bad for them. This is probably the coldest game they've ever played in. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you know, it was miserable to um, get kind of manhandled like that. Felt terrible for the players that uh, took Esmir's volley to the groin. Uh, that didn't look great. Uh, so I, I certainly felt for the uh, Panamanian players, and I can't imagine any of them will ever want to return to Foxborough, Massachusetts, uh, ever in their lifetime. Yeah, it, it was definitely one of those games where as I was walking from the car to the warm press box, I was uh, very glad I wasn't going to be in the stands. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's get to Vrioni. we got to talk about Vrioni. Um, Joe, oh, actually, sorry, one more question before Vrioni. Joe says, Vrioni question redacted uh, due to the tough assist, and the joke there is that I made a comment that we could you know, do a, do a 20 minute segment complaining about how Vrioni doesn't score uh, and just post into every single podcast. Uh, and so he was going to ask a Vrioni question, but he's redacting it uh, due to Vrioni's assist. Uh, he says, when Bai is back, what do you see the starting center back duo settling at? I think Romney is a given and I'm leaning towards old man Farrell over Henry Kessler. John. I, I think it, it depends on Kessler's health. I think if Kessler is healthy and in form, it's going to be him and Romney. But it, like, like I've been saying for a long time now, that's a huge if, right? We, we haven't seen Kessler stay healthy and in form for long periods of time, you know, since the season, the Revs won the supporter shield, which was now what, three years ago. So yeah, I, I, I you know, with the caveat of health and, and form, I say Kessler, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if for those reasons it is Farrell. Um, I, I still think Kessler at his best is a better center back than Andrew Farrell. It's just a question of, you know, if you're going to get that and for how long it lasts. 
Yeah, and the one other caveat I'll say here is that Mensa got the start over Farrell against DC United, and I assume that was because they wanted maybe a taller center back going up against Penteke, which did not work out. Um, it might be a situation where you are playing matchups. If you are playing a you know center forward who can head the ball in the air, maybe you want Henry Kessler out there. Uh, whereas maybe if you're playing on the front foot, you want uh, an Andrew Farrell, like, kind of like in the game last night. Uh, maybe Andrew Farrell is a uh, better portion for that. The other thing to do is, uh, it, it, he says when by comes back. So I guess we're, we're taking out Farrell moving over to uh, right back. But I think in the short term, we, we might see Andrew Farrell play a little more right back uh, than center back. If Henry Kessler is 90 minutes fit. Um, the other point I was going to make is Henry Kessler just signed a new contract and I believe they used Tam for it. And so I, I would say, well, Henry Kessler is a Tam center back. So obviously they have a lot of co confidence in him. Uh, Andrew Farrell is on a Tam contract. Uh, he, he signed an extension a couple of years ago and he had his option extended. So I assume he's still on a Tam salary. So you have two Tam center backs. Uh, and there's a real debate which one you want to use. Uh, personally, I think I'd go with Henry Kessler if he was fit 100% of the time. I think Kessler-Romney pairing worked really well at the beginning of last season, but it may be based on matchup. Um, and, and I think Farrell has played fine so far. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would give the nod to Kessler uh, if he is 100% healthy and fit and, and playing to the best of his ability. Um, also, I, I take a little offense to the old man Farrell comment because I believe Andrew Farrell is younger than us. Isn't that right, Sean? Yeah, I, I what is he like? He's, he's younger than you think, too. Isn't he like he's he's very early 30s? I, I gotta Google this now. Oh, yeah, 31. So he's he's especially for a center back, that's not old. Yeah, yeah, just in general, that's not old, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll say that to make ourselves feel better. And yeah. just one, one quick point, too, is you know, on the Kessler contract, um, we don't know how much that's for. I, there's, I, I, I think somebody's said it could be close to a million or something, but it's important to note that that contract was signed two months before Caleb Porter was named head coach. So I, it doesn't reflect at all what Caleb Porter thinks of Henry Kessler. It might reflect what the organization thinks of Henry Kessler, but it doesn't reflect what Caleb Porter thinks of Henry Kessler. Yeah, I, so I think that's an important caveat. I think I think Quinlan might have tweeted that. I, I need to go back and look to see who did that. But that, I remember seeing that, and that uh, I'll wait till salary data comes out uh, to give my... That does, my not, that does not sound right to me, or if it is what it is it seems like a very much an overpay but we we can discuss that when we actually have confirmation <laughs> yeah the team the team seems to be maybe they have a, a little bit of cap space and allocation money available and the slots aren't really there due to you know and, and that was that kind of showed from the lack of players that came in that maybe they just had money to spend and they'll spend it on you know i guess contract renewals but um kessler is a million dollar player with his injury history in the past couple of years um that, that would be interesting. We'll talk about that more when salary data comes out because I maybe that number is wrong, but we'll, we'll talk about it later. Um, Mike Kennedy, impressive all-around performance. Is this a function of playing lesser competition or are the Revs starting to show they're embracing Porter's style of play? Sean? I'm going to take another cop out and say both again. <laughs> um, it, it definitely is a function of playing lesser competition, but I, I do think we saw, you know, some good play in this one I, that first goal, especially I know Seth Maycomber from the blazing musket kind of tweeted out the video and talked about how, um, and Hayden bird did too, talked about how the passing kind of went all through the team. They started in the back, uh, just a phenomenal team goal, um, on that one where a lot of guys were involved. It, I think we saw a bit of that in this game too, where just, they were very good at kind of starting attacks from the back and, and building and, and, and going forward in maybe ways that we didn't necessarily see as much as last year. All of that with a caveat is that they were playing a team that wasn't very good. Um, so I, I think it's a, again, a cop out, we didn't get to see it against DC because of all the, in, because of the, the, the red card and playing down a man. Um, but we got to see a bit of it here with the caveat that it was against a, a bad team. So yeah, a, a little bit of both. Uh, pretty well said. Uh, Sunday afternoon fullbacks. If Rioni plays a good game in an empty forest in Foxborough and nobody was there to see it, does it make a sound? Uh, very, very good question there, too. And by the way, before I let you answer, Sean, uh, I should give Sunday afternoon fullbacks a kudos to his uh, UMass Lowell Riverhawks for absolutely smoking the Bryant University Bulldogs uh, yesterday. And that's the only comment I'll make about Bryant University uh, basketball because things are going very, very south very, very quickly. But, Sean, uh, what are your thoughts about Brioni and uh, does it matter? Yeah, he, he did have a pretty solid game uh, in front of a very small crowd and, I guess, a, a bad team. And now he is suspended for the next two games for MLS for the red card and against Alajuelense for two yellow cards. Caleb Porter said he was going to try to appeal that yellow card if he could. Uh, from my reading the rules quickly, I'm not sure that he actually can. Uh, I don't think that's going to be successful. I, I, I don't think they're going to have him back for that game. So, you know, he doesn't have an opportunity to, to build from 
any momentum he got in this game or the next game. Uh, he doesn't have an opportunity to build from any momentum he got in this game on Wednesday. Um, and, you know, who knows whoever fills in for him, if Bobby Wood's healthy and plays well, he, he may not have an opportunity the weekend after that. So, uh, yeah, it was a, you know, a solid performance from him again against a bad team. Um, still, I, I would have liked to have seen him get on the score sheet um, to build confidence that way. At the end of the day, you want Rioni putting the ball in the back of the net. Yes, it's nice. He had an assist. He could have had two assists, if not for that offside. Um, he was involved in the first goal as well. Uh, you know, he did a lot of good things, but you know, you need his finishing to be there. And we saw that opportunity early where he got the yellow card, which I think was completely undeserved, but you know, he did go down somewhat easily. If he stayed in his feet, you know, he probably could have put that, at least he should have put that in the back of the net. I would have liked to have seen him try to do that. Uh, didn't happen there. And then there was one later in the game where he was, you know, behind the defense and, you know, the ball kind of got caught up between his feet and he shot it right at the goalkeeper. So he, he had two decent opportunities to put the ball in the back of the net last night and didn't do it. Um, and that to me is maybe just as troubling as the positives he had from this game where he you know, was involved in a couple of couple of nice goals for the Revs. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know how much I can take away from this one or what it means going forward. And I think the fact that he's not going to be able to play in the next two games kind of squashes any momentum he might have built out of this. Mm -hmm. And it was a frustrating night because uh, you and I both had a bet um, of uh, Revolution win plus for any anytime goal scorer at plus 140, which uh, really should have hit. Uh, you, you know, the, everyone seemed to have really good chances, and uh, it seemed like everyone had a, a pretty clear cut chance. And Vrioni just, again, unable to score. The way I kind of came into this game thinking is, you know, he had a poor game at DC United. This is this is the easiest game of the year for the Revolution. Right. I, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt, you know, especially with the Revs not playing in U.S. Open Cup, which, by the way, was made official this week. The Revs will not be playing in, in the U.S. Open Cup this year. But, you know, minus 500 favorites at home. Um, you know, you, you got to play a, an inferior opponent who has to push up a little bit because you're leading on aggregate. They're not packed in back defensively. They're not parking the bus. So you're going to have chances. You're going to have the ability to go up. You're going to be have the ability to play on the front foot. Um, this is the easiest game of the year. And, you know, Rioni's hat-trick last year came in a game like this, in a League's Cup game against an inferior opponent that wasn't that motivated, and, and he scored his hat-trick. So I, I kind of came into this game thinking, you know, if Rioni does not come out and have a really great game now, when's he going to have a great game, right? So he didn't score, and, and we have to – I, I will echo everything you said there, too. Um, the, the only thing I'll say is that on the, the yellow card, it looked like the ball might have rolled away from him a little bit. And maybe just it's natural for him to go down, you know, easy. And, and maybe he was trying to draw the PK. I would have liked to have seen him finish that either way. I mean, you get, you've gotten past the goalkeeper. All you really need to do is just, you know, direct that ball towards target. And, and that's a goal. So um, a little frustrating that he wasn't able to finish that one off, whether or not his yellow was deserved or not. And I, I think a lot of people have varying opinions on that. I'll leave that up for the uh, refereeing experts to figure out. But regardless, um, it, it would have been nice to have seen him score. And there were a few times where he was open and someone just didn't get the ball to him. Uh, there were a few good runs. I remember Esmir had a nice left-footed cross in that the keeper just came out and, and had a good read on and uh, intercepted the ball. There was one time where I think Nacho Heel just couldn't get uh, the ball to Vrioni when he was wide open. Vrioni was making some good runs into the box uh, and seemed like he was going for goal. Uh, he also was involved in the midfield uh, pretty well, stealing the ball. There was that one play along the wing where he stole the ball and he led a charge the other way. I think it was a, a two on one or a two on two that didn't lead to a goal, but it was a, a, a nice play. I believe on the second goal, he actually starts the play by winning the ball back. And then I think it was Nacho Heel that booted the ball uh, over the top. Um, I, I forget. I have to go back and look to see who, who booted the ball over the top, but Brioni wins that ball in midfield. Uh, he, he does the nice secondary assist on the first uh, goal. He has the uh, near assist to Ima Boteng, uh, I believe. And then of course he gets the, the actual assist um to uh, uh mark anthony k so he was involved in the attack we did see a lot of positives uh he had some unselfish play um he seemed very motivated to come out and have a strong game and so I'll, I'll give him credit for all of those things and i'll also tack on that after saturday's game where we're saying what the hell is wrong with this guy how can he have such stupid two yellow cards he's letting the team down he's playing you know mindless soccer um for him to come out and to, again, have a strong mentality, to come out and want to show what he's made of, um, th that's a good positive reaction because uh, he could just sulk and, you know, be a diva and, you know, give a half-assed effort against a team that, you know, isn't really worth, you know, not MLS-level competition on a night that's 20 degrees outside. So, um, you know, we could have seen less of an effort from Vrioni, and we didn't. So I give him credit for that. 
Um, with all that being said, do I think he's going to transform into a designated player striker and score 15 goals for the Revs this season? No, I don't. Until he's able to do this consistently against MLS competition, I'm not sold on this guy. And so I, this is a great game, but it reminds me of the League's Cup last year where we said, man, maybe this guy's turning the corner. Maybe this guy's figured it out. Um, and, and you know, and then he just completely fell flat for the rest of the season. So I'm not sold on this guy. I want to see more from him. And again, you're, you're right. Not being able to play this Saturday or next Wednesday to to yellow card accumulation is a bit of tough luck. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, we're, it's going to be a week and a half before we see him again. And it's going to be against a much tougher team. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if he's able to build off of it. But I have my doubts. It is crazy that he's got, even though I think this yellow card was not justified, it is crazy that he has four first half yellow cards in three games so far. Yep. He has more red cards on the road than goals uh, with the revolution. So, um, yeah, certainly deserves a lot of credit, though. I, I think that, you know, we I think every single week throughout this, this you know, the past year or so, we've talked about Friotti and, and how he's you know, truly old failing. And, um, you know, I, I think he deserves his flowers for a good effort last night. He was involved a lot. So. Um, thumbs up there. And, um, you know, again, we really needed to see it in a game like this against a, a weak opponent. So, uh, one more piece of news, uh, Joaquin Pereira, we talked about him last week. Uh, the revs could not come to an agreement with Rosario central. Uh, the revs apparently offered about $2.7 million. Uh, Rosario central wanted about $4 million. It's worth noting that, you know, the revs don't have a designated player spot. And so the transfer fee does, enter into the equation for the salary budget so the revs probably i saw some people say the revs are cheap the revs are not willing to go out and just you know pay the extra million they have a ton of money in the bank and this is a scenario where when you don't have a designated player spot you might be limited in the transfer fee because uh, you also have to come to personal terms uh, with the player so uh, this might be a situation where they are limited a little bit and um it's frustrating because it seems like Pereira wants to come to the revolution uh but uh, it seems like the revs are you know, limited here, not having a designated player spot. And I'll also say this uh, goes back to the fact they had to use a buyout on a goalkeeper that never played a game for the revolution. Cause now, even if you want to buy out for your midseason to bring in someone else, you now can't do that. Uh, you've used your salary cap relief on uh, Thomas Vetsleek. So um, again, bit of a frustrating mismanagement that has led to a scenario where the revs have their hands tied when it comes to the, um, transfer market and we'll see how it goes i also wanted to talk one more thing too because some people have said uh you know the revs are out of international roster spots how can Pereira uh, be brought in isn't he an international player uh i'm trying to get a, an idea of, of if the revs have uh, they should have five ros international roster spots left i believe one of those spots is joshua bulma who was drafted last year i believe he took up an international roster spot last year I do not know if he still does, but even if he does, there is a rule that the Revs can loan one player to their affiliate, and as long as they don't make the game day roster uh, in MLS, if you loan a player to an affiliate, you get roster relief for that slot. So if they loan him to Revs 2, uh, the way my understanding of the rule works is that they will get roster relief in the form of a supplemental roster spot and an international roster spot. So Boma might not take up a spot, but even if he does... As long as he doesn't make a game day roster, the Revs can open up an international roster spot. So I did get some questions about that, and I wanted to take a moment on the podcast to explain that kind of wrinkle in the rules um, to why the Revs are exploring uh, international players when they don't have an international roster spot. Uh, and I, I assume that loan won't be made official until they actually get someone secured uh, and, and into the team. So, uh, Sean, uh, any thoughts on the Pereira situation? No, I, I think you uh, summed that one up quite nicely. And I, it's, it's always possible, too, that somebody's close to getting a green card, too, that we don't know about. I mean, Rioni's been here, you know, almost two full years now. He he might not be that far off. So there's there's ways to open up international roster spots. And and teams also will trade international roster spots midseason, too. So maybe they're trading one at the beginning of the season for 175000 and then can acquire one later for 75000 in allocation money, basically just to make a, a, a quick buck on an international roster spot you're not going to use in the first half. Um, so anyway, that's enough of uh, roster rules talk uh, for today. Sean, uh, any final thoughts before we depart here today? Yeah, just one interesting comment from uh, Porter again after the game. I asked him about Henry Kessler and what he thought of his performance and you know whether the substitution was planned. And you know, unsurprisingly, it was because he was just coming back for his first game. But he again talked about the medical staff of the team and complimented them on what a good job they're doing and, and being careful about bringing guys back. Uh, at the right time and and making sure they don't get re-injured. And then we talked about how last year there were quite a few problems where guys are out there and then they're back and then they're injured again. 
Um, it was very interesting just to see him be that open and transparent and, and talking about kind of the issues they had last year. And I think there was speculation from us and others that maybe the medical staff wasn't doing a great job with all the injuries the refs had. And he's also, you know, without saying it, kind of saying it, I think, of some of these comments. Um, but he gave a shout out to Federico Pizzuto and Josh Williams as two guys in particular who are doing a really good job leading the department. Uh, not the first time he's made a comment like that. So I, I'm, I appreciate him you know, being open and transparent about that stuff. But um, it, it's interesting to see the coach kind of commenting on the issues that they had last year. And without blaming the medical staff, uh, in contrast to the compliments he's giving him this year, you can kind of read between the lines. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see the comments in two weeks when uh, Carlos Hill's Achilles is worse than expected, uh, and suddenly the injury report is filing up. Although I will say too, uh, we've we've ripped on the injury report before and how non-transparent it is. It should be noted that it comes out Friday now, and apparently it's a lot more uh, transparent and accurate. So um, great, you know. I, I think as long as we've been covering the team, the injury reports have been more or less a joke. Uh, and, and, you know, there have been injuries, quote unquote, on Thursdays uh, after the injury report comes out. Apparently it's it's on Friday and a little bit more reliable. Uh, so uh, that, that great, great. I guess that's a step minor step in the, the right direction for, for Major League Soccer. So a uh, couple of quick things I wanted to shout out before we end here today. First off, uh, very rarely does the podcast in real life ever overlap. But uh, old friend Chris Velukas, uh, former host of the show, said that he was approached by a coworker and said, hey, I heard you asked a question on uh, Revolution Recap this week. Uh, and uh, Chris was very uh, happy to hear uh, that someone is listening to the show. So I just want to give a shout out to Chris's coworker. Uh, you are the Revolution Recap listener of the week uh, for being a real person and not just someone uh, that I know from uh, Twitter. Although I guess I don't know you. Uh, Chris knows you. But you get my point. Uh, so congrats on being the listener of the week. Assuming you've left us a five-star rev- review on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't done that, uh, it's not valid until uh, your award is not valid until you leave a five-star review. The other thing, too, that I want to talk about real quick here and i'm not on the show sunday to sean we can't talk about this sunday sunday but i do this every single year i say you know what we really need to do next week we need to roll out aew revolution recap of course aew revolution the pay-per-view event happening this sunday night it's a great annual event sean i I, every year i ask you for your predictions i know you follow it very very well there's a basically a double main event we have hangman page we have swerve strickland we have samojo triple threat match for the aew championship who do you like in that one I unfortunately haven't seen the script for it, so I can't tell you the answer. No, you don't even want to throw out a prediction. <laughs> I don't know who any of those people are. Damn. <laughs> but, well, the other the other co-main event here, uh, Sting, his last match ever. Him and Darby Allen defend the AEW tag team titles against the Young Bucks. Uh, do you think Sean? Do you think Sting goes out undefeated and as AEW tag team champion to end his long illustrious career? With, with a name like that, I don't see how he can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm not talking about the singer, which is what I imagine you uh, picturing. <laughs> Sean, where can people find you on? So I won't put you uh, on the hot seat anymore for uh, stupid wrestling predictions. But where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it at Sean L. Donahue. I am also on Threads and Blue Sky, occasionally active there. And maybe we'll be more active if more people follow me. Yeah, I would say we are occasionally active uh, on all of our social media platforms. You can follow us at Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, uh, Blue Sky. Blue Sky has hashtags, by the way, so that might maybe that's a game changer. Threads have a, has a hashtag, too. So be our friend on Threads. Uh, but we are Revolution Recap on all of those platforms. Also, make sure you rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you are listening. I know Chris's coworker has done it. You should do it, too. Uh, and be sure to check out our friends over at the Blazing Musket on their Substack, all of your Revolution news comes straight into your email inbox. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to Revolution Recap. We are presented by Bet Online again. That TFC draw double chance plus one twenty. You can get that line over at Bet Online. Remember, use promo code Believe B L E A V for a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. So, thank you to them. We will be back next, uh, not next week, Sunday night, recapping the MLS home opener against Toronto FC. Until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.